0: Okay, Scott. So um,
1: good to meet you. Good to meet you you're, too you're You're from California, and we had already started talking, and you came up with a question of uh, self uh, and no self in Buddhism, and is how, if there is no self, can you get anything done? All right? That's basically the way that you expressed it. Now. Basically, the problem is that it uh, understanding the word in the Pali, the word in the Pali is an atta, an atta, okay? Atta is a soul, like in Mahatma or Atta Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi means great soul. That's the atta. Basically, what the soul is, and this comes from the Greek word, not atom, but atmos. And we have that word in, in our language in the form of atmosphere. That atmos, that is the sphere around the world, our air, our environment, our um, atmosphere. This is it. We live in an atmosphere. We live in it. But it is not controlling us, nor do you have it, nor do you own it. That you can breathe in and out, but you don't own the air that's in your lungs when they're in your lungs. And you don't own the air when it goes out. So that's one of the aspects of it. So um, what is really pointing to is this issue that we had originally spoken about, and that is about permanency. That there is nothing permanent. There is no soul. There is no entity that is that is in fact ongoing, continuing. That in fact this. Let me give you this explanation very quickly. There is a kind of definition of of the term for an atheist that has to do in the the following way. Upon the breakup of the body the the existing being is annihilated. So that means that when you die, the you will die, right? But Christianity says no. When you die, the you will not die. Just the body dies, and you will continue on because you are permanent. You are a soul, right? And uh, so the idea of the atheist is is that that soul is a soul, but it it dies at the end of life. Then there's the nihilist, which says that there's no soul, there's nothing, and that I can go around and do what I want to do because I can get away with it. And so they follow their heart's desires rather than using wisdom. So the fourth idea then is the idea of the Buddha, which has to do with everything is arising and passing away. Everything is temporary. Everything is not only temporary, but often in cycles. So sometimes there's cycles and sometimes it's kind of random. So like noise and that what we can understand then is, is that if we can put our mind in a kind of rhythmic pattern and begin to choose the kind of cycles that we're going to go in, kind of the circles that we travel in and stay in that, then our life becomes musical. An example of that is is that musical instruments tune to a particular note at a particular frequency. They can get either a little machine or a tuning fork or um, various things like that to get the instruments in tune so that they can play together. Because if every instrument is out of tune, not only uh, with each other instruments, but also out of tune with itself like pianos get, then it becomes very much noisy. Nobody kind of likes it because it's just kind of all over the place. And if there's no rhythm to it, as well as no musical intonations. And so this is kind of all of the randomness that we live in naturally. And what the Buddha is recommending is is let's start putting some order into that that we thought was there originally but was not there. Let's put some self into it in a way. Or another way of talking about it is putting some skin in the game. So normally what we look at is we look from the world as a victim. Poor me. I need protection. I need help. I need a god. I need a mommy. This is how we were raised from childhood. I need a mommy, I need help, I need a guru, I need a meditation master, I need a this, I need a doctor, I need clothing, I need this, I need food, I need that, I need a bed, I need a house, I need, I need, I need, I need. And all of that neediness keeps us dissatisfied. But if we start circling in the circle of being satisfied, rather than all of that noise about all the things that I can be dissatisfied with and still think that there's a me when in fact there's a huge crowd in there, not a, not a me, not a centralized or a unification of mind. That this is what the Buddha teaches in the Eightfold Noble Path is right organization or right unification of mind where the arguments and the doubts that we have within ourselves are resolved. And so the the problem is with the word in our language of the word self, because that word self has a lot of different definitions and meanings. And when we apply it to Buddhism, we immediately apply it in the wrong way. A, a much closer word in the English language to use would be the word soul. There's no soul in the sense that a soul cannot be changed. That the entire point of the teaching of the Buddha is, is that each one of us can change, that we can move out of Dukkha into Dukkha Narodha, not in the future, because that's not change, Permanently off into the future, rather than that we can change and we can change now. We can make a change right now. What can we change? We can change what we can see is causing the dukkha. Here's an example of that, one of my favorites. In fact, the farmer is on this side of the field and all the cows are on the other side of the field, and he's got to go over to the cows. And he keeps his eye on the cow and keeps his mind on the cows and gets to the destination where the cows are and watch carefully to make sure that he knows where they are so that he can get to them correctly. If he does that, he will be covered in cow shit. The right way to get to the cows is more than likely spend your time looking at where you're going, watching every step that you take. and Then occasionally look at your distant goal, but most of the time you spend your time basically with your eye to the ground to watch each step to make sure that you're not stepping in a mess. So that's a way of approaching uh, correct meditation practice is looking closely to not allow this unwholesome thought in the mind. Don't go there. You stay in uh, a good place and you continuously walk to make sure that you're not going to step in a mess. Each mind moment, one mind moment at a time. This is the actual practice then of the Eightfold Noble Path, which you've heard about, and that is to wake up sati, actually to get your eyes off the cows and to look down. And then number two, to see, to really see what a cow pie is with the discrimination between what is bare ground and what is a pile of crap. And then number three, we take the right effort to make sure that our foot is planted on solid ground. And that's each step that we take, step after step. We look at the ground, we see what's there, we check it out, and then we make sure that we're planting the next thought into good solid ground. And that's the way that we begin to see things. Now that's just another example of, um, or a different analogy, because the, the the Buddha also uses the analogy of the uh, cow herd with the in, with an Indian, you know, with his stick. So the Indians got a uh, um, talking about in ancient India. Uh, they they're not like the cowboys with tens of thousands of cows to uh, take to market on the Chisholm Trail with a rodeo and all. There, this guy's only got eight or ten cows, and there he is at home, and he's going to take the cows to pasture along the way he's got to take the cows through the village where there are stalls there are people around and whatnot like that and he's got to guide these cows and be there with them and whack them to keep this cow or that cow from taking some food or a carrot or something off the food stall and to whack the cow in front to make sure that he doesn't step on a child and whatnot like that to keep these cows in line while they're in the public area. If the cowherd does nothing, the cows are going to be all over town and everybody's going to be unhappy with him. So he's got to keep these cows in line. But once he gets the cows out to pasture, now with the cow's head down grazing, the cowherd doesn't have to st- sit there or stand there with them with his stick. Now he can go sit under a tree, he can relax. So this is how we practice Anapanasati. This is how we practice meditation is is that we wake up and we start getting our cows in order or our mind in order in the sense of having one wholesome thought after another wholesome thought after another wholesome thought about being here in the present moment, to be here now. And by doing that, by having that mindfulness or that sati to wake up and look at each thought, that's like the uh, the farmer looking at each um, place to plant his next footstep.
0: Excuse me, dogs are talking. Sorry.
1: <laughs> each step of the way, we have to watch, each thought to watch. And as we do that, we can begin to have one wholesome thought at a time in the moment, to be here now. Another way of saying it is that we apply the mind to the wholesome, and we sustain the mind on the wholesome, the wholesome thoughts, not trying to stop the thoughts or to do nothing, but rather to guide the thoughts into a state of satisfaction. So we talk to ourselves about being satisfied. Go ahead, Dr. Scott.
2: Um, can you give some example of what is a whole thought?
1: Well, I've already been giving them to you, but I will continue. Wholesome thoughts of satisfaction. Everything is okay. There's a thought of satisfaction. No place to go, nothing to do. The spring comes, and the grass grows by itself. Everything is all right. No worries, mate. In Thai, they say, Sabai, Sabai. All is okay. Everything is all right. Got no problems. These are all wholesome thoughts. Okay. Those are it. Also, congratulatory thoughts. When you see that the mind has wandered away from the breath, then you congratulate yourself for seeing that. But most meditators are going to take the ordinary trip of criticizing themselves because they weren't doing what they thought they wanted
0: to do. So we have to be on guard for that that
1: this thought leads to the next thought. And the next thought may not be as wholesome as the first thought. So catch that and say, aha, I caught ya, and come back to a very wholesome thought over and over and over again. That's the style of the Buddha. That's what it's all about, to continue to gladden the mind, to continue to investigate the mind, thought moment by thought moment, with the understanding of I'm going to only allow wholesome thoughts in right now. And when we get very, very good at it, then we can start putting some gaps in it. But that's the training that comes later. In the beginning, we want to just start getting our thoughts, one wholesome thought after another, after another. Including getting out of the thoughts of my wholesome thoughts aren't good enough. No, your wholesome thoughts are good enough. These wholesome thoughts are good enough. They're all right.
0: Everything is okay.
1: So, and basically, what we're saying is we come out of the critical mind that we have been trained into since we started school, about the age of six. For some, it starts even earlier. But as a little child, we could play, we could do anything we wanted to run around, do what we wanted, you know, so long as we could, you know, not destroy other people's stuff. But once we get about six years old, and now it's time to say, to sit down and learn your ABCs. You got to learn to read, learn your one, two, threes, do your homework, put down your cell phone and clean your room. You know, the, the trip, right? We were as children put to work into the critical world that we live in. And so we have taken on the mantle of being critical of all things. And that's what Western culture is basically about. They call it capitalism, but no, it's really just, um, let us say, um, a fussy mentality that we just get into being fussy all the time, that nothing is good enough. Everything is dissatisfactory. Doesn't matter what we get uh, uh, or when we do get satisfied, that satisfaction doesn't last. Even the football star who makes a touchdown and everybody cheers and his arm goes up in the air and he feels really good and he dances around and everybody has a body pile and all of that. And three seconds, five seconds later, now he's got to go back on the field and do it again. Over and over, we got to get back on that treadmill, and, and we do that. Why? Because we were trained that way in our own minds. And so we need to see that process also, to see that we give ourselves tasks to do, and see that that kind of thing is unwholesome because we don't give ourselves an opportunity just to sit down and have nothing to do. Even when you're trying to do nothing, the trying to do nothing is not nothing.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. But just, you know, I don't have anything to do. No place to go. Everything is all right. Can take a rest and relax. And that's the way into going into nothing. Trying to get nothing is just more trying. Relaxing into it is the way to go. And how do we relax? We talk ourselves into relaxing with wholesome thoughts. Nurturing thoughts, not critical thoughts, but nurturing thoughts. Everything is okay. Lullaby and good night. Everything is easy peasy. No worries. Wow. I mean, finally, we got a chance
0: to rest.
3: (laughs)
1: This is the way that we start practice. That's what prasjana is, is the applying of the mind and sustaining the mind on the wholesome, which rids the mind of the hindrances and brings us into a state of peace and relaxation, which is the word sukha, which is the opposite of the word dukkha. Mm -hmm. That's it. You can just relax your way into just feeling good. So those are actually now, we've talked about three items on the Eightfold Noble Path. One is to wake up and remember to look at what thoughts you forgot. That's number two, is to look. Number one, to wake up. Number two, to look. And number three is to throw those thoughts out and put in the mind wholesome thoughts of how nice it is, how wonderful it is. Oh, boy, the body feels so good when I... Energize it and take a deep breath. (sighs) Got nothing left but
0: rhyme and rhythm. The noise is gone. That's the way to think of it. It's just over
1: and over and over again. Got rhythm. Got rhyme. It all keeps rhyming. No place to go. Nothing to do. Everything is easy. Lullaby, easy, but when we're getting into that state, the mind is actually quite bright in order to maintain it. This is what we mean by brightening the mind.
0: Get the mind in a nice,
3: easy state.
0: So how do you feel right now? How is this?
2: I feel the relaxation, I feel in my body, feels like uh, weight comes off my chest a little bit, and then uh, I feel like I'm I'm more aware of energy from my head to my toe,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: kind of moves around.
1: Well, that's the quality of being here now, that you're beginning to wake up your senses and you wind up that there's a whole lot of stuff to sense. And yet we spend so much time thinking instead of observing with sensual awareness. And so this is the part of the change that we started with in when we first started talking. We started talking about what is self and what is no self. When we get into those states, there's no room for any selfishness that we're relaxed and comfortable and happy. That's in a state of no self. In the sense of no selfishness. So that's a way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is, is that but there was nothing permanent that was suffering in the first place that the suffering was always temporary. And the suffering was associated with self. And when we're in a state of relaxation, when we're not suffering, then there is no selfishness. There's none of that. So it's certainly not permanent because you've just felt it not being there. A weight off your chest is how you described it. That was your self. Sitting on your chest. <laughs> this is how actually simple and easy the Buddha's method is. is to actually let go of that weight that we've
0: got on the chest. Cause it's not real. nothing to it really (laughs) but it's best to keep breathing well to take a deep breath to allow the air to come in when we breathe out we intentionally relax.
3: ah
2: Yeah, I think uh, the breath, focusing on the breath, the weight on the chest, it, the weight on the chest doesn't actually exist, right?
3: Mm-hmm. But
2: when we bring our awareness to the breath, the emptiness of the breath shows the emptiness of the weight on the chest, because because the weight, it feels like it's in the chest area, that's the same place the breath is, right?
1: Mhm. Other people call it not a weight, but they call it anxiety. But that's still the manifestation of the self. Here's another way of looking at it completely scientifically, and that is, is that there are uh, human instincts. We have four primary instincts, with the primary instinct number one of that group of four is the self-preservation instinct. Above all, the instincts are there to keep us alive, to keep the, in, the organism preserved. So when, um, when the alligator is surprised by the snake, the alligator will immediately resist. That self-preservation instinct comes up immediately and it's there to protect us. The child will use it to not step in the road. Okay, let us say that the child is running into the road chasing a ball and he hears his mama yell, don't go in the road. It's not her yell that stops him from going in the road. It's the immediate instant fear that arises. And that's what stops him from going into the road. So these fears have been keeping us alive all our lives, and we can congratulate that self-preservation instinct. Otherwise, I would have been dead many times.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I would push the edges, but the actual fear is what teaches where the edges are, instinctually. But in so doing, it often makes um, where the boundaries are uh, blurred, indistinct and often set in childhood to where the reality is, is that there is no boundary there after all. And so this is what creates living in a box is because it's the fear that wants to keep us set within boundaries. And so this is one of the points about, um, the practice of Anapanasati is to begin to teach ourselves that right now there's nothing to fear. This is one of the wholesome thoughts. You ask the question, what's the wholesome thoughts? Thoughts that I'm okay. Thoughts that there are no animals here eating my legs. Thoughts, well, that's actually not true right now because I'm in Thailand. <laughs> They're just little tiny, tiny animals, but never mind. Um The the point is, is that we want to get ourselves into a a state of feeling safe and secure. Just like I was able to talk you into that state just a few moments ago. Because you felt secure, you felt safe. So talking yourself again into feeling safe. Now, many of the Westerners will say, "I, I talked myself into feeling safe and then I felt safe. And then all of this stuff opened up for me. Now I want all that stuff to open up for me. So now I'm going to go try to pry it open rather than recognizing, no, we got it open the first place because we knew the key to it. And the key is, is that we talk ourselves into feeling safe and secure. We talk ourselves into being comfortable. That we nurture the child within that feels insecure and unsafe. And doesn't quite know why just because it's an old habit. That's why. And also because we give ourselves unhealthy, unwholesome and unsafe thoughts from time to time, like, Oh, I've got to write that email. Or it's time for dinner or, uh, things like that. We have these thoughts, uh, I wonder when he's going to call. But well, that's
2: a good. But what's wrong with dinner time?
1: Yeah,
2: <laughs> that's
1: a good one. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> Those are thoughts of the future. Thoughts of the past and thoughts of the future keep us dissatisfied. Puts us in a state of wanting things. But when we're having thoughts of everything is right, okay, right now, then we come into a state of satisfaction.
0: State of Sukha, which is an
1: item on the list of first jhana. And so, what we're going to do is we're going to organize the mind and get the mind collected together in a rhythmic kind of way so that we're only thinking about and dwelling on the wholesome of how really nice things are. Everything's going to work out. There's no worries, no troubles. Everything is secure. No place to go, nothing to do. Everything is just beautiful. And these are the kind of thoughts that we start developing. That's a kind of thought over and over and over again. Everything is okay. Everything is fine. No worries. Got no troubles. There are no alligators. There are no uh, crocodiles. In other words, this is the Buddha's talking about it in in, in the sense of sunyata or sunyata, which is there's nothing there. Why is it that we go around being afraid on a regular basis when there's really, these are just false positives. There's nothing there. So now we're going to actually sit in practice, talking to ourselves about the kind of things that are not there. There is no government here. Not now. Not here. There is no police. Not now. Not here. There is no angry mob, not now, not here. There is no war, not now, not here. Everything is okay, right here, right now. No problem, no worries. Everything is okay. We feel comfort and content and let all the people who are worried go do what they're worried about. They're not my problem. Even if they're worried about the same things that I used to worry about, I'm not worried about that anymore. I can just sit and relax. No worries, mate. Everything is okay.
0: And as we reflect, I can do this.
1: I can do this. I can, in fact, relax. I know how, I've done it once. I'll remember that I did it with a procedure and I can proceed that way again, having happy, wholesome thoughts. And confidence begins to grow. And that confidence is, I can do this. And we start changing the attitude from being a victim who needs things who wants things in order to get things so he can feel secure and safe and satisfied we're just going to feel safe and satisfied and secure without all of that stuff then we don't want anything and then there's the recognition is that hey no suffering was easy no Dukkha was easy, Dukkha Naroda, here it comes, easy peasy. Just remember, just remember to apply the mind to the wholesome and keep it wholesome. And everything falls literally into place because wherever it landed, that's its place. (laughs) So everything falls into place. Things keep falling. That's their nature. Everything keeps changing. And all we need to do is just sit and watch the show, just
3: enjoy the show. <laughs>
0: everything's all right everything is fine what a marvelous show we're in shakespeare says all the world's a stage go ahead go ahead kind
2: of a weird show say what it's a strange show it's a that's
1: a judgment
0: call that's a criticism true
1: Let us call it entertaining,
0: a hilarious show,
1: a three-ring circus with thousands of
0: rings.
1: (laughs) There's a show going on in every corner. That's the Anitia. Everything is happening. Things are not static. They are not in a way that they're supposed to be because too much is going on to ever decide what was or should, supposed to be.
0: And so we can get out of looking at how things are supposed to be and start recognizing everything's already okay.
3: We're all at home here now.
0: Time to celebrate old home week, except it is more like a neon.
2: <laughs> old home week. What do you mean?
1: Oh, that's an old Southern kind of song, old home week. I guess it would be Christmas or Thanksgiving or something like that. When people go home, they feel oh. at home. Oh. okay. That's the feeling that we're getting It is this feeling of being at home, being oh. at rest.
2: Yeah. Feel the feeling of just being safe.
1: Safe. Mm
0: -hmm. Glad you're here. Thankful. Grateful.
2: Well, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for just, (laughs) I like to listen to you just keep talking. It's good.
1: Well, you can replay this tape because we uh, have it recorded.
2: Uh, I really enjoy all the YouTube videos, too, that are out there. I think I already entered the, you know, jhana that you're talking about. I just
1: saw you do it.
2: Yeah, no, and listening to you. Not for
1: long, but.
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) I talked you into it, and then I talked you back out of it, but that was just a toy. (laughs)
3: So I'm glad that you can enjoy the experience.
0: I
2: find myself trying to think of a question, but I see that me trying to think of a question comes from dissatisfaction.
1: That's right. That's where questions come from. Out of doubt. Doubt's a hindrance. When you feel really satisfied, you got no questions, got no
0: worries.
2: So I could just sit here and not say anything.
0: Not say anything, yeah. Easy. Just sit and enjoy. Just
1: breathe and be easy. And allow yourself to get into that state often. I would recommend that you do this about six times a day to literally sit down and talk yourself into feeling really good
0: and really relaxed.
2: How long do you do it for, or just until you feel good?
1: Well, it didn't take me that long. I would say, maybe now, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, fifteen minutes to sit down, and just get yourself into a really nice, peaceful state. Breathing well and having wholesome thoughts about how nice things are and how easy it is. You know, I, I
2: think. I've been doing that a little bit. Um, Okay. um, Like, I'll just be grateful for, for example, my shoes, just little things. Like, I'm grateful that I have these shoes to put on, or I'm grateful for (laughs) whatever, water, food.
1: Yes, developing a sense of gratitude for being in the present moment of being grateful for what you have right now,
0: rather than being in a state of dissatisfaction with what we have right now, which is our normal way of living. And so we
1: want to spend more and more time in the mind moments of being grateful for being here now. Wow, I really do appreciate how good things
0: are right now.
3: there's nothing to it there's nothing to it
2: so talk t- thinking and talking to yourself the wholesome thoughts relaxes you into the state where you can do nothing is that right
1: well actually yes
2: because you
1: th- th- there's nothing to do anyway Right. So you and so that's what relaxation is, anyway, isn't it? Is being able to do nothing.
2: Right. But you can't say you can't say there's nothing to do when you're unhappy. When you're, Right, When
1: you're unhappy, then now you got stuff to do. There's something to do, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you want nothing, if you want to have nothing, then you're trying to get a nothing, and that's work. And you're not going to get nothing by trying to get it you got to be in the state of, I don't need anything. I don't need anything. I don't need nothing. I don't need it. I don't need this. I don't need that. I don't need anything at all. Isn't it great that I don't need anything right now?
0: (sighs) Nothing to it. I don't need awakening.
1: I don't need. That's the awakening. You're already awake. See, there it is. You don't need awakening. You don't need anything. That's the awakening. (laughs) yes i know that's profound you really don't need awakening and recognizing that you don't need it that you already got all that you do need
2: that's the awakening yeah there's nothing special about the buddha Nothing,
1: nothing special nothing special
2: Because it's how it already is, right?
1: Everything is already okay. It's the humans that have gone around destroying their own paradise. It started with Adam and Eve.
2: Now, that's a Christian thing.
0: Sure is. And it runs
1: the whole Christian world. And is warned about in Genesis. So it's been an old problem they've had. And that is... That we have to actually have to put up with the results of our critical thinking. Eating of the fruit of the knowledge of what's right and wrong, and by going around judging this is right, this is evil, this is wrong, this is good, this is bad, this is you do this, this is our standard, and start setting up a bunch of rules that destroys paradise. Here, I, I live in paradise. I've got a tree right here. Oh, it's got a yellow leaf. I'm going to have to cut that tree down, but never mind. I mean, why should I allow a tree that's got a yellow leaf in paradise? What's
2: wrong with the yellow leaf?
1: Well, that's the critical mind, isn't it? What's wrong with the yellow leaf is a a logical question. (laughs) But the critical mind don't like the yellow leaf, and he's going to tear down the whole forest just because he's going to find yellow leaves that he doesn't like.
2: or or i'm thinking maybe the trees are thailand because leaves turn yellow here in california in the winter uh
1: that this is actually one of the variety of ficus there's a lot of ficus and the ficus do turn yellow and the leaves fall off some of them at a particular time of year and others just on a regular basis but it's not a fern, it's a ficus. You know, like ficus benjamina and ficus buddha, and this one actually is what, what is called a sim, or a simma tree, simma. But they're, they're known to have big, broad leaves. You know the, the big, broad leaf shape, the heart-shaped leaf of the Bodhi tree?
2: Uh, okay.
1: Yeah, that kind of tree will have leaves that turn yellow turn brown and fall down, even in the tropics.
0: That's beautiful. Everything is temporary. Every
1: leaf turns yellow and dies. And if we don't like a particular part of that cycle, then we get attached to it. And when things change, we don't like it. And when we don't like things, we're in the state of dissatisfaction. And every tree around us has leaves turning yellow. But we don't like it because we think that we, things should be the way that we want them to be. And they should stay that way wanting things to be permanent. The whole mentality is to change that all around to where no, everything is. All right. And I mean, my job is to just enjoy the show. to enjoy the show is to enjoy this. Oh, that leaves turning yellow right in front of my eyes. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's a, it's a change of attitude from the being a victim of the world into being a champion of the world. The champion of your own world. An emperor, in fact. It's been said that everyone is an emperor of their own pile of dirt. But most emperors are buried under their own pile of dirt. Can you sit on top of your own pile of dirt? If you can sit on top of your own pile of dirt, then you're above it. You're above the world. That's in fact, what the super mundane means. That was your original question is what the super mundane mean. It means to be on top of the world, to be on top of the situation. to not be buried under it. That you are above every problem that ever could exist. Aloof, erect, tall, noble, a lion. That's what Buddhism is about, is to get above it all. Just because you like to watch pig wrestling doesn't mean that you got to get in and wrestle with them. Better to stand aside. <laughs> And how we practice that mentality is like we started in the beginning is just this thought, this unwholesome thought, this unwholesome thought about pigs, mud wrestling, Throw that thought out. And let's just get away from all of the world altogether and come back to the point of there is nothing there. There is no snakes, there's no alligators, there's no pigs, mud wrestling right now. They're not there. That was an imagination of the mind. Throw them out. And so we begin to throw out one unwholesome thought after another as it pops up, as it occurs, coming back to only having wholesome thoughts about what's happening right here, right now, with no place to go and nothing to do. The breeze comes. The air is sweet. Not a problem in the world. we're on top of that world. We're the king.
0: We got it wired. We know when the coconuts fall. Which by the way, I just heard one.
2: <laughs> Did you know more coconuts Coconuts kill more people than shark attacks, coconuts falling on people's heads.
1: Well, that's because they don't know how to live in a coconut plantation. No, the wise people, they don't walk under the trees. Coconuts do not fall far from the tree. Right. No more than about six feet. So if you're six feet away from a tree you're likely to get hit. If you're seven feet away, most likely not. That's wisdom. So are you doing, you're telling me how stupid people are.
2: Right. Yeah. But that's the judgment. I right? know that's the whole point.
1: No, that's the discernment. That's not necessarily a judgment because, um, Well, there's a whole lot of reasons for it. And one is is that the Buddha made that discrimination, that most people cannot figure out what the Dhamma is, even when it's explained to them. And about half of those who do understand it don't like it a bit and become its enemy, especially those that are predestined to be authoritarians and or want to control or run other people's lives. Because the whole teaching of the Buddha is for each one of us is to get away from trying to control other people. Okay. And so there's been quite a lot of enemies that Buddhism has had that the bank president, for instance, does not like the hobo sitting on the pavement in front of his bank door. Why? Oh, well, we've got better standards here. And besides that, hobo is teaching people that it's okay to sit down and do nothing. I want them to own a bank. Okay. So that's the mentality. And that hobo, excuse me, that bank president who hates the hobo the most knows that the hobo has got an easier life. (laughs) If he's a
2: wise hobo. Have you heard of Dionysus? am i saying that right dionysus i've i've heard the word is
1: that associated with scientology no dionysus was that's a greek huh okay i knew it was one or the other he came um
2: dianetics that's scientology okay dionysus yeah dionysus was uh essentially a wise hobo like you're talking about and it was, Alexander the Great came up to him and said, uh, "Do you want? Do you want anything? I'll bring you anything in the world." Because like he recognized his his wisdom somehow. And then Dionysus told him to move out of the way of the sun.
1: Son. Uh-huh. <laughs> Please stand aside. You're blocking the sun. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've heard that.
2: That's what it reminded me of.
1: All right. Well, that's where but if if you go in, in that way, you would know or he would actually know and he's probably just making a point. The happy hobo just making a point. If he was really the happy hobo, he doesn't care whether
3: <laughs>
1: Alexander the Great's blocking the sun or not. Because yeah. he knows that, that Alexander the Great is not going to be standing there for very long anyway.
2: No, yeah, he's saying I don't want anything.
1: I don't need anything. I don't anything. want anything. I don't want anything. <laughs> or the easier way is just to back up. Because if you back up, back a step aside, then you get the sun again. He's not blocking it. So there's all of that kind of thing. So you have to say, well, why did he say it then? The answer is, is that because he's making a point out of it, that I don't want anything.
0: That all I want is something that I can already get easily And so that's
1: the way of looking at your own life is to stay in the position that you've already got all that you want. And anything that you do want is easily attainable.
0: And so if you mail order something,
1: you have to wait for a few days, then don't wait. Just don't need it until it arrives. Then when it arrives, oh, you're pleasantly surprised to see it arrive. Now you need it because you got it, but don't need it until you got it. If you need something that you don't have, that's (laughs) stukka. And we have to practice that over and over and over again because most of the thoughts that we have are about thoughts of wanting something that we don't have. Thoughts of something to do, thoughts of problems to solve, thoughts of uh, places to go, thoughts of things to buy. All kinds of thoughts drive us around, and most of them have to do with either wanting something or trying to follow some rule that we've invented or heard someplace.
2: I don't really want anything in the world anymore. My wants usually are, uh, I want like a spiritual state that I've had before. because
1: Yeah, but that's
2: just more spiritual materialism.
1: Yeah, that's just,
2: right.
1: yeah, you're just wanting things, okay? Yeah. You just change it from wanting the, uh, because if you stopped wanting those kinds of things, you'd start going back to something, wanting something else. The question is not then the object of what we want. The issue is that we want things because we're not satisfied. And if we get ourselves into a state of satisfaction by talking ourselves into it, then we don't want anything anymore. And the way that we talk to ourselves and to get into that state of satisfaction is by saying, I don't need that. I don't need that. Not now. I'll deal with that later. I can keep putting things off and just take it easy. No place to go and nothing to do. And everything is easy. And we need to practice that
0: over and over and over again. And pretty soon, we can get the hang of it. (laughs)
3: so that's good
0: so I think that you kind of
1: understand what we're going for so I would recommend that you do that and as you do uh, practice for a few days and begin to get some experience that actually practicing everything is okay so that I can do nothing rather than, oh, I need to get into a state of doing nothing so that I then will feel good. No, you feel good first, and then you get into there's nothing to do. So go practice that for a few days and then call me and we'll talk again.
2: Okay. Thank you so much. All All right, right, Scott. All right. Bye-bye.
3: Okay. Bye-bye.